Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatik, sitting here with Aaron Cameron at the Edmonton Real Estate Forum. Our guest today is Paul Chaput, who is Senior VP, Institutional Property Advisors. He has been on once before, is actually at this very conference back in 2019, we had a chance to talk about the prairies with him then. He's focused on apartments and prairies. As a geography, we'd be talking about Alberta all the way over into the Winnipeg market. He's an expert. He does a lot of high-profile transactions. So we've invited him back on today to kind of continue the chronology of his experience through COVID, coming out of COVID, and what he's seeing in the market now. He's definitely an industry leader, so we're glad to have him back. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro, too. I- <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressed with myself all of a sudden. That's great. I like it. And if you want to hear Paul's history, because usually we kind of do a background, but we've done that already with Paul. Yeah. So you can you can just search Paul you and find the history. So we'll just fast forward, fast to forward right now, into it. SVPs, IPA. There we go. All uh, the acronyms. Selling, you gotta, selling apartment buildings across sort of absolutely know, Western Canada. So we left you at spring 2019. Yes. Couldn't have been happier about the market of the time. Yeah, it was, and, going, uh, it was all yeah. roses. Yeah. It was all looking up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, fast forward a few months and all of a sudden we don't realize how good we had it. <laughs> yeah. So and, and 2019 was kind of just a boon year. I mean, yeah, I think it, it was, was a for solid most year. people in real estate, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, everything was working. It was uh, steady growth through the prairies. BC outside of Vancouver was starting to heat up. Nothing like we're seeing in the Okanagan right now. And things were kind of marching along just fine. Fast forward a few months and we had strong activity from the smaller, call them high net worth investors through Edmonton and Calgary and good interest from institutional groups. And heading into 2020, seeing the, it all looks so funny now, uh, seeing the headlines of what's going on in Wuhan and that's not coming, that's not coming here. That's not coming for us. You know, January of 2020, we launched some pretty high profile apartment buildings in what Edmonton. Were, what were, let's just do market checks and we'll do sure. this. I think Adam mentioned it. We're going to kind of do a chronology. a chronology of what was transpiring in the apartment market throughout the last couple of years. And what we will talk about today and what the future may hold. Let's just do price checks and rent sure. checks throughout so we can kind of get some trends going. Yeah. So end of 2019, we would have sold, we would have seen transactions for high-rise concrete in the 350 to 375 a door range, creeping into the higher 300 a foot range. And that's for new purpose-built that's rental. Ed- that's Edmonton. That's Edmonton. Yeah. Calgary, if there were any transactions, they would have been about the same, maybe slightly higher. Calgary has historically always traded at a, at a cap rate premium to Edmonton. I think just that market's got about half of the purpose-built rental universe that Edmonton has. So you just have less product available coupled with, you know, Edmonton is kind of a slow growth government, utility, healthcare. So did you say Calgary has half the universe? Surprisingly, it does. Yeah. Edmonton has about 80,000 purpose-built rental apartment units and Calgary's got about 42, 43. A lot of their product was condominiumized as was Edmonton, but at a much higher rate in Calgary. So a lot of their rental stock does fall into the that secondary condo rental market. So this would be the units dispersed in a building there for rent, not when an owner has an entire building condominiumized and one-off owners generally. That's right. Okay. Yeah. okay. So when you're, if you're an institutional group, you're not looking to try and reverse engineer a condo building and buy a unit at a time. And now you've got a hundred units. You're looking to buy 
100 units, if not 500 units at a time in a single transaction. So yeah, when we're talking the purpose-built rental universe, Calgary is Calgary's really supply constrained that way. And there's just always less volume, less activity in Calgary, not for a lack of demand, but for a lack of supply, really. In is, comparison to Is that Edmonton. regulatory? Is that the issue? I thought Alberta was a little more freewheeling than uh, other provinces. It is. I guess going back even further, not to overgeneralize, but Edmonton's a little more blue collar, a little more service. A lot of the, the big oil field stuff that goes on is fabricated in NISCU and, and shipped out. And those are a lot of blue collar jobs and tend to lend themselves more to a renter population. Or Can you take from that then that the economy is a little bit more transient because there's a bit more flexibility in the there, yeah, there can, the there definitely can be the steady eddy nature of Edmonton on top of being a blue collar kind of service center for oil field. You know, there's engineering in Edmonton, not to say that there isn't, but a lot of the head office jobs, the middle management and the engineering is done in Calgary. So you have this kind of white collar, blue collar bit of dichotomy as well. A good portion of the white collar jobs in Edmonton are government related, utility company related, or Alberta Health Services or university related. So I think historically... Calgary's had higher per capita income, which has kind of led more to a, a buyer nature of that market. So you have more of a condo market in Calgary. Edmonton's condo market has had a rough go right back to the 2008 kind of range. Calgary had a tough time as well, but there's more ownership of apartment buildings or single ownership of apartment buildings in Calgary or apartment units in Calgary. Right. Understood. So 2019, end of 2019, I think it's at 350, 375,000 a unit and for older. For new, for new build, for, for new, new build, build concrete. Concrete, yeah. and that's getting up to 600 per leasable foot on uh, older properties. So high rise that was built in the 60s or 70s, generally centrally located. You're still in the 200 to 220 a door kind of range on average, which would be more like 250 to 300 bucks a foot. So where's that on a stabilized cap rate? Like five? Four and a half. Uh, at that time, a stabilized cap rate on new concrete would be hovering around a four. Okay. But it would still largely be stabilized. So you wouldn't be buying ahead of stabilization. And then on the older stock, at that time, there was a number of groups coming from Ontario that were purchasing concrete product that were applying the classic value add mentality to it. You know, you buy it for whatever per pound or per door. And you renovate it and then you get a couple hundred bucks lift on the rental side. So the cap rates were sort of being tossed out the window at that time. Two and a half to three and a half cap was altogether as is going going in income. So you guys trying to finance it would be sort of scratching your head. But it was institutional groups, you know, off Bay Street that were coming in and buying these at other jurisdictions. It would look like a steal. You could buy them for 200,000, add 50,000 a door. And, you know, you take a $1,000 rent and... And all of a sudden, it's a five cap. That's right. At least theoretically. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in practice, prior to... It's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you buy that in 2019 and then you head into a global, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pandemic. global pandemic. Yeah. And maybe the thesis didn't include that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... But you didn't see that coming? I, I saw that you know, coming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in hindsight... No, actually, no. I did not see that coming. I still don't even, believe it. Even, <laughs> even now, sitting yeah. here two years later, it yeah. still it seems made up. It really does. And I can still remember like in February of 2020, like hearing headlines and 
And it felt so far away. It felt like it just it was wasn't interesting, gonna, but not like. And now yeah, I look back and I'm like, I'm so dumb. We've told the story before, but we just actually had him on for another time. But Michael Betzelaus, who is yeah. a, who's a sort of a counterpart of yours in Ontario, we had him on early in the pandemic. And I remember him video, we were obviously in lockdown, and he shows his phone and it said a million cases worldwide. And there was no trades going on, right? He sits yeah. in your same chair, right? So he's just like, like the whole world's just imploding around him. He's like, there's a million cases. And now he's like 550 million cases. Yeah. <laughs> Literally oh, yeah. six weeks later, I'm sure he was back to trading like crazy anyway, <laughs> yeah. right? But there was that moment of inflection that we all went through. Like, is yeah. this the end? Like, and it was such it a was, weird moment. It was such a weird moment. And everything stopped. So I guess backing up to numbers. So you got 350 a door for new concrete, 200 a door for old concrete in Edmonton and Calgary, 200, 220 a door for new wood. And older wood would be 120, either side of 120, 130 a door. We had a bid date scheduled for, call it middle of, well, it was early March 2020. And it was on the, that exact product I was talking about that institutional investors were coming to Edmonton and Calgary, trying to snap up whatever old product they could find to do this value add component. And we had this building kind of priced in the high 80 million to low 90 million range. And we figured we had, we traveled across the country promoting the asset. We had five viable bidders. And the Monday, the Monday before our Wednesday bid date, oil started tanking. It absolutely got rocked. Russia and the Saudis at that time were fighting over oil supplies and just started flooding the market. And we got on the phone with all these bidders and none of them were buying Alberta all of a sudden. Oil, it went from, I don't know if it was 60 bucks at the time down to 20 and then on its way to negative. If you recall, oil went negative for a little bit, like a day there. But we had to pull the asset. But it was like a $90 million transaction that just all of a sudden. And then and then a week later, we were full lockdown. In which case, we kind of knew that that was going to kill that deal anyways. But at the same time, it was, it was kind of a lesson in like the striking while the iron's hot kind yeah. of... Uh, thing like we're still looking at that asset and now it never came back to market it never did and that value add thesis that threw cap rates out the window well that's no longer in the cards at the moment for alberta now if you're buying in alberta generally it's driven by income it's driven by yield and it's driven by value is that just because there isn't the belief i mean again current let's just pretend the whole inflation interest rate thing doesn't exist for a moment. <laughs> but is it just because there's a rental ceiling or is it just not the belief that the rents are there? Because I mean, it feels like the rents you know are appreciating. In the, in the last month or two, the rents have really started to appreciate. And Calgary, if I'm saying a month or two, I'm really referring to Edmonton. Calgary's probably been four or five months. And Calgary's really starting to escalate quickly. So that thesis may come back in this kind of you know, rising rent environment. Yeah. Interest but, rates, inflation aside. I mean, yeah. So I think the idea of buying an asset, plowing a bunch of equity into it, and hopefully achieving a higher rent, that was shelved for the tried and true. I'll pay a really aggressive cap rate and get a yield that's acceptable to me, but I'm not going to base that on future rents. I'm basing it on the rents that are on the rent roll today, which is what lenders, it's pretty typical for a lender to value it that way. We found that the buyers were coming back to that, you know, the kind of classic view of cash flow valuation. Cash flow, cash flow became king again. And it doesn't help me as a broker, but I fully understand and fully appreciate it. You know, if you can put on at that time, a four cap, you were buying a four cap through COVID, you were buying a four cap and you were putting on 
two and a half percent money, then two percent money, for then a point and a half. half. Yeah. <laughs> that four cap was starting to look really good. Yeah. yeah. What were the first eight, 12, 16, I don't know how long it lasted, yeah. weeks in COVID? Like, when you were washing your groceries, <laughs> what were you thinking about the market, you know, yeah. during that time period? <laughs> Scurrying into the grocery store and, yeah. and, <laughs> and scrounging. Yeah. <laughs> once I got my toilet paper supply on, yeah. on lockdown, <laughs> hoarding. And once I hoarded enough toilet paper, it was really interesting. It was really unknown times. What we found, in addition to what everyone was experiencing in COVID and, and our counterparts across the country, Alberta was being hit with a double whammy. Oil, like I said, went negative the first time I've ever known of for a brief period and then crawled its way out to kind of $15, $20 a barrel, which for the most part, it costs 40 to 60 bucks a barrel to get it (laughs) off the ground. So it uh, it was really, in addition to the pandemic, you know, the Alberta economy, especially Edmonton and Calgary, is a whole lot more diversified than oil. However, when we're dealing with institutional groups who are looking at macroeconomics of Canada, let alone Alberta, that plays a big part. And so it's a psyche thing too. It's like, a psyche thing. A lot of those, absolutely. I mean, I mean, pretending to create a fictional and institutional person that you're thinking about, they've got to sell their investment into a larger credit group that's looking at <laughs> oh, their yeah. portfolio from a global perspective. So anything yeah. with any little kind of blemish on it, nah, we're not even going to take go there. Well, and, right? you, and you hit it right on the head that that even if I could sell the underwriters and the investment people that I deal with, they've got to sell a bigger, and it was like every other day the Globe Mail was coming out with like, you know, oil crashes, oil yeah. crashes. And it's like, okay, well, we'll just, so so the first 12 weeks was hanging out with family and, and keeping in contact with clients. But at that same time, like there was, there was genuine concern. We didn't know what the government was going to do. Would tenants be paying rent? I remember having the first handful of conversations. Like, is everyone just going to go to hoarding their cash and no one's going to pay rent and we're going to have you know, buildings were perfectly fine income paying tenants, rent paying tenants became squatters, right? And none of that ended up happening. So in, there was a lot know, of concern about that. There was a ton as lenders, we were concerned. Like not sure. just in the apartment Absolutely. market. I mean, no, we're focused every, on apartments, but oh, yeah, every yeah, yeah. asset class. Every asset like, class. And we didn't know. And it turned out that the government programs put in place made apartment apartment ownership probably the least risky of all the assets. If it wasn't already the least risky, it emphasized it. It put a big exclamation point on the fact that people need a place to live and any reasonable government is going to go looking, go look out for its people first. And that's really what it ended up doing. And it made collections groups that the first month had a big question mark as to their collections. It was like, oh, we're 95, 98, 99% collections. Like, this is actually better than <laughs> yeah. better. we we were at we were at ninety two prior people, to people, COVID. people we can't at, go out and spend money. They now. can't spend money. <laughs> the first thing they're going to do is buy groceries and pay their rent because they can't go anywhere. <laughs> but they were also like government backed all of a sudden, right? The whole population was government backed, so you had improved collections, which was an odd phenomenon. And then, as I think the reality of of lockdowns set in on every jurisdiction in North America, we had the phenomenon which was the total reversal of what we'd been seeing before, which was the centralization of all these cities, everyone building towers in their core and trying to amenitize the towers and amenitize the neighborhoods and, and really densify these cities. Everyone spread out to the burbs and it happened, it happened everywhere. It probably took three or four months for everyone to realize that this isn't going away anytime soon. And so I'd rather go rent or buy or have a townhouse in the burbs and have a little garden or plot of land that I, I now have to mow, but I get out of my house now and I have yeah. a place to go. So that was a really 
completely logical. Fundamental change. Fundamental change. And now we're seeing that reverse in a big, in a big way. And I think in a really important way, because every city, you need your downtown to thrive for the, you know, sort of the heart of, of every city. And so it's nice to see them, you know, the vacancies dropping dramatically in, in the core and a lot of new development in both Edmonton and Calgary are centered around their core. So it's good to see that new tenants are, are populating those buildings and it's coming quite rapidly. It's, well, it's been a... If we talk about the psyche, we've been kind of dancing around the psyche of COVID and washing groceries and just what was transpiring. 2020 was obviously just a... We learned about waves of COVID and we learned about variants and you like everything was just like... The whole world was kind of eyes closed, kind of feeling their way through it. 2021 hits and now there's a... You're almost comfortable in it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a familiar uncomfort, if you will. <laughs> and then the world kind of seemed to get back to normal to a weird way. We we're also working virtually, but it felt normal. Yeah. And what was that like from a broker perspective? Like, were there lots of transactions? Interest rates were low and we're going to obviously talk about that because we know that that's not true yeah. today. But through 2021, like 2021 was a pretty great year. Yeah, it was interesting. We had some good activity in the prairies. Our team as well, we will do transactions as far east as Winnipeg and as far west as Vancouver Island, and in particular, the Okanagan. And so the first signs that investors were willing to get back into the market in the west was seeing activity in Kelowna and Vancouver Island. And then through 2021, we saw more activity in Edmonton and in Calgary, which was really good to see. Investors really came back to the west in BC first, and they really haven't stopped coming back like through 2021. Lona has really started to escalate. And frankly, all of, all of BC has really started to escalate. But at that same time, we started to see activity return to Alberta. So to do that price check, you know, we went from 2019, healthy market numbers. You guys could probably know this better than me, but maybe 2.5% on CMHC yeah, five-year-ish. Yeah, 2.5 to 3, at, yeah, At the end of yeah. 2019. So we've got four caps with 2.5% debt. 2020, not much activity in Alberta. 2021, it starts to return. And now we've got vendors who've been able to weather any storm, the worst of the COVID storm. So they've held on to their pricing, but just barely. So now we're seeing four caps, but the debt markets have really come, oh, yeah. to, come to help out. So right. in 2020, we were seeing 2%, well, 1.5%. Government of Canada bonds got down to like 46 basis points at one point. Five-year Government of Canada is, for context, today they're 2.7. So they're yeah. up 220 basis points from that low in the middle of 2021, yeah. right? And that's not that long ago. No, that's not even a year ago, yeah. by the way. No, yeah. it's, it's such a fast move. So at that time, Alberta became really attractive for this, you know, the positive leverage that you get when you're buying a four cap still at the same price you were in 2019, all things being equal or talking in generalities. And then now you're putting on debt with a hundred basis point reduction on it. Your leverage looks pretty good. So were you seeing cap rates come down at that point? And where were the values and rents? Kind of. I mean, we're still in COVID, of, right? Like this is middle of yeah. 2021. So you're still in COVID, but it's we're creeping that, out of it, right? I would say that activity started again and it started where it left off. And the thing that made it more palatable or more attractive or incentivized investors to get in at that time was that inexpensive debt. Right. Was, was, was really, the delta between the, absolutely. cap rates and interest rates. Yeah. Because, you know, you would have seen Relatively speaking, you would have seen in 2019, Kelowna would have been priced slightly more expensive than Edmonton. And then through 2020 and 2021, it's like 40-50% higher on a per-door basis. And really, your yield would have went from a 5% cap and creeping into the low fours as we're seeing it today or, or around a four. And you're still putting on that same amount of debt 
in a much smaller market with potential for more volatility. How big's Kelowna, just for context? The whole Okanagan is about 300,000 people. And you've Versus got about Edmonton is Edmonton is greater Edmonton's 1.4 and Edmonton proper is a million, a million right. one. Versus and Calgary is Calgary's a million three with greater Calgary with Airdrie and Cochrane. I guess you're a million four, million five. Yeah. So you're gonna keep going until you stump them? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I just, <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Context. <laughs> Wikipedia says no, it's it's context, right? Because I mean three hundred thousand is Really not that big, right? I mean, if you, but getting cons- a lot of attention right getting now, getting a ton of attention. Yeah, I'm, ton I'm, of I'm attention. Just making that observation. Yeah, that's yeah, all. Yeah, no, no, no. And yeah, it's sort of outside of Vancouver. You would go to Victoria, and then it used to drop off pretty rapidly. And now Kelowna is right there. And some groups would rather buy in Kelowna than in Victoria. And I think it's a, you know, a bit of a perfect storm. You have um, people being priced out of Vancouver, and so you're you're looking for another another jurisdiction. You're still in BC, Kelowna. Summer in Kelowna, there's no better place almost anywhere, in my opinion, if there's no forest fires being a pest. But, and now, you know, this work remote thing has really taken off during COVID. But even prior to COVID, you know, we were hearing various groups that were, you know, had more of a tech focus. I knew some young guys that owned a tech business that, that work off their phone for the most part the whole time. And he's like, I'm going to do that from a boat in Kelowna. And he did that a year before COVID. But he's not the only one. And so... So Kelowna has become really attractive, mostly a lifestyle call, but it's really, it's really expanding. And there's a lot more, I think it's going to be well past 300,000 pretty quick here. From a growth perspective, population growth yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. So let's keep going. We've got about 10, 15 minutes left, Paul. So yeah. let's do… And where are we in our chronology yeah, right now? Let's we, do end of 2020, before yeah. this interest rate rise starts. And, and, yeah. Like where are we from a just end a valuation of, perspective, from a, just a… The velocity so of sales of, and transactions. End of 2020, we start to see transaction activity. Oh, sorry, 2021. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, through 2021, we're seeing a number of transactions, in which case you can sort of say, okay, cap rates are, pricing is this. And so we're again kind of back to that same level that we were at at the end of 2019, just with a bit of a better value proposition, though coming through a scarier time with that debt piece. And now we're sort of in that same boat. However, now the whole world over is now dealing with debt that's substantially more expensive. Right now, we're starting to see the first, I'd say if we were having this conversation a month ago, I would say, you know, we think or we're hearing there's green shoots, you know, rents are starting to increase, we're getting better activity, but we need to see more of it. Now we're really starting to see it. You know, talking to some groups here, some big landlords that are at the conference right now, we're hearing $75 a unit kind of rent increases out in the burbs in both Edmonton and Calgary which, what's our math on that? Of about 5%. So Yeah, we just spoke like, to James Hall at Boardwalk and he's yeah. at the same thing. See, his, 5% his, exactly. His leasing, his, 5%. His, his leasing so, spreads are, are 5% and up. And that's, you know, the landlords have been shouldering kind of higher property taxes, higher insurance costs, higher, like the expense side of the pro forma has only been inching its way up and up and up. And so now to have rents before were just flat. And so now they're starting to tip up and we could use more to the extent that we don't become part of what has brought tenants to Alberta has been its value proposition. So we don't want to tip the scale in the wrong way that way. But I think we've got a long way to go before that, that ends up happening. But to have rents starting to tick up, we can now start forecasting some rent growth into our pro formas and show investors, okay, you might be locking in 3.5% debt today, but here's the cap rate on today's rent. But when we forecast in some of this other rent, the rent growth that we're going to see over this year and next year, and we're already seeing it. 
we're already seeing this rent growth. Well, you should talk to uh, James then because Aaron actually pitched that very concept to him <laughs> when we were recording just an hour ago. Yeah. So this is perfect alignment here. Good. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's so because what we're running into or what we've seen, and it hasn't sent the market into the grinding halt that, that COVID did. But when you're buying four and five cap buildings and putting three and a half percent debt on it, the only thing that you can do is just plow more equity in so your, your debt coverage isn't offside or you reduce the price, which would increase the yield and increase the cap rate. And vendors right now, all that would do would be starve me as the broker. I wouldn't be able to do any transactions because in our market, there's the odd uncomfortable developer that could use a transaction, but there's not really a, a bunch of them that have to do a deal right now, in which case they'd have to accept that lower price in order to get out of the asset. They could sort of just ride it out. But now that we're seeing some of this rent growth and able to project it, we can kind of say, okay, here. There's a way out of this. There's a way out of this. There's a path. So for the boardwalks of the world, I mean, I can appreciate that. They've got obviously very, very strong piggy banks, right? They can weather that, put more equity in. Their long-term holds, they've got the cash for CapEx to get to that higher rent, whatever the requirements may be. But the other part of the market is those 10 plexes, 12 plexes, 16 plexes, where there isn't patient capital. It isn't heavy liquidity. Are you seeing a different story for that part of the apartment market? I think it's early days, but I think we will. I think backing up when the gears started to unlock on the market in Alberta, it was really high net worth investors and regional players that were unlocking the market and they were the first ones to be doing the transactions. And I feel like now, now that you need higher equity components to do these transactions, it's going to be harder for those high net worth, those regional, local buyers to be doing deals. So I could see a bit of a reversal in fortune. Or Now, that product class, it's not institutional in caliber. And so it's not going to see the same attention from those groups with institutional coffers. And you know, yeah, It's the use leverage versus need leverage, right? Like yes. Boardwalk yeah. uses leverage because it just gives them a healthier ROI yeah. versus those that need leverage. Yeah. That's, yeah. The only way That's the only can, way it's going to happen. Make it work. And Lenny's yeah. counterintuitive that way. The more that you need our service, the less we want to provide it because <laughs> yeah. we want borrowers that don't need it. That's the ones we want to give money to. Very, you know, like a shoemaker doesn't see a shoeless guy and say, no, 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 keep walking. I'm not going to sell you shoes. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So then I guess I know to kind of run out the tail end of our chronology here, we're now going to go forward looking. I think we're past the current sure. hump of sitting right here. So assume that interest rates continue to be there. They are. You just, yeah. you know, where they up, sustained up. What's going to happen to transactions in the market over the next six months? Are you still going to have, once the vendor disbelief kind of transitions to, okay, I guess we're going to sell into a new reality. Yeah. Where do you see transactions happening? What's the rest of the year look like? So I think that just like we were talking, the high net worth private buyer is going to struggle heading forward the next six months to a year. And my crystal ball on debt is not very good. I would lean on you guys for this. But there's a chance that, you know, as supply chains unlock and hopefully with the escalation of of interest rates, we don't go dipping into a recession. But if we do, you could bet interest rates are probably going to come back down. So there's a good chance that interest rates flatten or return to a a lower level in the midterm. So that might make it more viable for those investors in a 12-month period or further away. In the meantime, I think institutional groups are going to be stepping up and finding, continuing to find value in Alberta. We had Hazelview buy a building at the end of last year called the CX, uh, $81 million transaction. It was 25% occupied at the time of purchase, about 370 a door. And if you could plunk that building in Toronto at 
probably be 800 a door. In Vancouver, it'd be 850 a door. It was just a really compelling value buy that by buying it as early as they did, they were probably save themselves 5%, maybe a little bit more by virtue of some of the other fully stabilized assets that were competing in the market. You might have to pay more like It does show faith in the market though, of course. That's the uh, thing, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, they're not out here clipping coupons. They're willing That's to right. roll their it sleeves was, up. It was a compelling value argument. I think Alberta is going to stay a compelling value argument. And now it's going to be value with growth, which I think will, you know, has the potential to, you're now cooking with jet fuel, right? You have that kind of double up of you're way under some of the other major markets, but now there's a trajectory. Well, and, to, and I mean, Paul, when you were talking about so the 2020, 2021, part of your narrative was just how poor the energy sector was performing. And that's not true anymore. Yeah. Feels like $100 a barrel seems to be the new norm. And how long that lasts, again, going back to supply chain and recession and all these other things. But as long as we've got troubles in Europe and you know, war in the Ukraine, this could be a new reality for some time. What we've learned, I think, and we keep referencing this, is that the reality is apartments are proofed, recession-proofed, pandemic-proofed, inflation-proofed, I guess, in the sense that rents are going to rise with inflation to a certain degree. At least that seems to be what the early data suggests. Yeah, I think it remains a really rock-solid asset. And the other thing, and we didn't even really touch on this, but institutional groups, too, are generally underweight apartment buildings. And they've always, not always, heading into the pandemic and through the pandemic, MTV, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, that's what everyone wanted. And I think that that's not going to change, but it's been easing off. And I think that's going to continue to ease off as those markets continue to get undersupplied and overpriced. Well, I like the new Vectom, which is a little bit more uh, inclusive, right? Vancouver, we have MTL, or Calgary, or Calgary or, yeah, Toronto, yeah, Montreal, Ottawa. Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, <laughs> oh, wow. Toronto, yeah. Ottawa. Vect- Vectom. Vectom. Okay. okay. So that gets you Edmonton, like Calgary, it. gets Ottawa <laughs> yeah, in there. Ottawa it's a little more inclusive of our major yeah. markets, right? Throw Halifax in there. <laughs> yeah. Ve- yeah. Vectom. Well, yeah. Vectom, Vectom actually Vectom. goes geographically too, right? Yeah, so that actually exactly. works out beautifully. Vectom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Okay, I'm going to try and use that. I'll use that in a sentence tonight. There you go. <laughs> Sounds so, smart. So yeah. then if we're crystal balling, when do you think the market would be back to a point where the value add proposition is so strong that that property you lost back in February 2020 comes back to market for a successful sale at that same price? For that particular asset, I think it's got to see the rent growth that gets it back to like its performance, its income performance or its revenue, sorry, is back to pre-pandemic levels. Its costs are elevated. It's operational costs. So its NOI isn't quite back to the level that it needs to be. So we've got to see some rent growth there to get it back to that level. But we also have that delta in investor mentality of that value add, throw the cap rate out the window, which we were using about a three and a half cap. And I think right now it's about a four cap. So We've probably got to see about 10 to 20% rent growth to make up all those components to get it back to that same pricing. So if we can get them 10% more revenue and I can convince them to sell for 10% less, then we're there. But also, it's an asset that's been owned for a very long time. that They're kind of, they're happy with it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, that would be the formula, I'd say. Okay, well, I'll take that as a uh, sign of positive market. You got to yeah. send me a, a little email say, hey, this is the one. Yeah. And then I'll okay. know. I'll know. Bird is back, baby. <laughs> it's back. It's back. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Paul, I'm unfortunately running out of time, but great, great combo. Love the chronology because we haven't actually ever done that before. So it's kind of fun to, to revisit. It's almost been like 
you relive a painful memory and it was been long <laughs> it was, enough. It was sort of go, therapy. Yeah, yeah a little. Yeah. It was a little. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> Paul's crying right little, now. You yeah, can't yeah, see I, it, I, I'm going to cry. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't in a while, but <laughs> brought up some dark, dark times. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> out of the pandemic into the next, I don't want to call it a crisis, but the next <laughs> opportunity. opportunity. There we go. The there we go. Again, thanks, Paul, for coming on. Thank you. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks, First National, for powering the podcast. And of course, thanks to the Real Estate Forums for hosting us. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where Adam and I kind of digest the conversation we just had with Paul Chaput of IPA, not the beer, the brokerage. We're here at the Western Canadian Department Investment Conference. We've had some time to have some conversations with different people and see some guests, some speakers and some panels, etc. You know, there's a real vibe here that I think is really interesting. And this kind of surmises some of the conversation we have with Paul, and we'll talk about the specifics. But in the Alberta market, there's been strong, we're seeing stronger rental growth. <laughs> Some of the people we're talking to have said about 5% same unit leasing spreads, meaning nothing done to the unit, maybe some fresh paint. They're getting 5% more increase on their unit rents. No more incentives. Vacancies are coming down. So there's some strong sort of underlying rental fundamentals. Then on a a more economic fundamental perspective, of course, everybody knows oil is up above 100 bucks per barrel, right? So that in its amongst itself is great for the Alberta economy, but they never thought that was going to happen, right? They've been working the last 10 years or so to diversify their economy because they figured oil was never going to get above 60 bucks. And if you, I think, if this is still true, the oil sands and all that fracking, et cetera, you need 80 bucks per barrel to even make it profitable. So they never thought it'd be above 60. So therefore, they never really thought they'd be really in the chip, so to speak. So they've been diversifying. One of the stats we heard recently is that Edmonton and Calgary, like Alberta, is one of these largest artificial intelligence research tech sectors in the world, one strong technology growth as far as just their research centers and attraction to organizations. And then part of that is being fueled by the fact that their universities and their institutions, their education institutions have gotten much stronger over the last decade. And then on top of that, as a result of some of the immigration that they've had over the last decade, and now you've got sort of second and third generation Albertans who have been producing children at a faster rate than the rest of the population, you've got a younger demographic. So they're younger they're more educated, and they're now well more diversified than they used to be. And throw on top of that now $100 a barrel of oil. They've got this really, really sort of robust story, this narrative underneath that they are really sitting well for probably a really good growth uh, trajectory. Oh, and don't forget, average home prices in Alberta is $400,000, not a million or 1.3 million or whatever it is in sort of Vancouver and Toronto. So Everybody here is actually really bullish. And that's not just the people that live here and are building here. Those are the economists. Those are the people that are from Vancouver or from Toronto. Like we're hearing it across the board. And you can hear it in talking to Paul, right? Like, I mean, aside from the fact that interest rates are up and the fact that, of course, that's going to put stress on real estate across the country, the underlying fundamentals in Alberta are strong. Sorry, one last thing that I think is also interesting. In the rest of the country, we haven't seen a real estate cycle in 20 years, right? It's basically been 20 years since the cycle started and now it's ending. It is ending. In Alberta, their cycles are every six or seven years. So they're used to kind of a rolling stress on their market because of just how volatile their underlying economy has been when it was so heavily reliant on oil and gas. And so many of the landowners are just used to it. So they're a little bit more insulated, lower leverage on their assets a little bit more liquidity, like they're keeping more cash aside for that rainy day fund because they know it comes every six to seven years, not every 20 years. Like many of us are 
conditioned to believe. Or, I mean, the reality is many of us have never even seen a cycle. Like there are people out there going, what do you mean rents don't just go up and rates don't just go down? Like they can go in opposite directions. Like I don't think there are some people that have never seen it versus in Alberta, they see it again every six to seven years. I just think there's a lot of good storylines in the Alberta market and you could hear it. And as Paul was talking about some of the stuff that's going on here. That was a great impassioned speech for Alberta. I'm very impressed. I've taken the input. <laughs> we're just here. I mean, I'm, again, we're lenders. So I'm just taking it in and hearing what everybody's talking about. And if you piece it all together, that is ultimately the storyline. Again, it's, it's up. You can't argue that. Like they're up, whatever it is, like 250 basis points from the start of the year. So that, no matter who you are, where you are, what the strengths of the underlying fundamentals are, that's going to have some impact. But I think Alberta, better than anybody else in the country, is ready to absorb it and keep going. Yeah, that's definitely a takeaway. I think I must have missed the panel on the breeding habits of Albertans that you referenced, but I did catch most of the rest of that. The forums that we go to, there's always, you know, you're always talking about the local economy and these are a lot more boosters for the local economy. Like the people, the panels and all that, like they're invested in these economies, they believe in them, they know it's, you know, it comes genuinely. But I have been to forums in virtually every every province that they run in. And sometimes you'll get that. The messaging is like, yeah, we're poised for, you know, a great run here. But then you don't hear a reason why, you know, other than just general enthusiasm to try and keep the real estate market going. It's just hype. It's just hype. The hype men. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. I'm not precluding my own hometown from that. Of course, you know, the Toronto Forum, the same thing goes on. Center of the Um, universe. Can't go wrong in Toronto. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But there was, there was just a litany of reasons. And you, you covered a bunch of them there on why Alberta is poised for growth. One of the ones that popped this maybe didn't mention is that if you're looking at rental growth in the apartment space, because obviously this was an apartment-focused conversation with Paul, you referenced house prices not being high, but rents are rents are pretty reasonable in the Alberta market. And so there is room to grow without seriously impeding people's ability to live and eat as compared to, say, a market like Vancouver, where I think Cynthia, who was another guest of ours, referenced uh, 75% of somebody's income ends up going to their housing in that market. I'm yeah. pretty sure we talked about that with her. So if you put a little a little tailwind behind that market, there's room to comfortably grow rents without having a disastrous effect on people's living standards. And Paul covered a bunch of that too, and just what he was seeing in the marketplace. So all in all, time will tell, obviously, but it seems my take of it, if I'm just kind of putting my finger in the wind, feels like there are a lot of positive things going on in this marketplace. Next year, Aaron's going to chair the Edmonton Forum, I think. This I'm is, moving uh, to a... Edmonton, actually. Did I not tell you yeah. that? Yeah. Well, actually, I, 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 maybe she references you did live there for a while, so maybe you yeah. are well, eligible. I was, like four, yeah. I was four years old. Yeah, it doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah, but I have a little place in my heart for Edmonton, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's it. Great after show. I love the passion. Anyways, everybody, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to Paul today, and uh, it was actually a great experience at the Forum overall. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.